G'day crew, welcome back. It's been uh, a bit of bit of a hiatus, uh, a bit of a break. Arnie and myself have been partying since the days when the grand finals. So apologies <laughs> for for being away, um, but we're back. We've come down from cloud nine, and we're uh, we're back recording episode. Which one, Arnie? Oh mate, you hit me with that cold. I don't even know. It's questions. Been like a, it's been a month since we've recorded. Really. Let me go check the episode number while you guys uh, do some quick intros. We'd be around uh, episode twenty-four, be my guess, or thereabouts. Twenty-five. Um, episode twenty-five. 25. There you go. Okay, episode twenty-five. Um, talking all things money, money in the tank. Welcome back, uh, Joel Siege, Principal Advisor, Harpel FG, and Arnie, Tax Professional. And again, we've got our good friend. That's Vaughn from Vegas. Uh, all the way from Vegas. Yeah, Vegas, All the way from Vegas. <laughs> Still got the, wind. <laughs> got the wind casino in the background just to rub it in for the boys. Indeed, yeah. mate. It's got to open up the strip behind me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, have to, uh, you'll, have to up, you'll have to update us on how your week pans out at, uh, at Vegas, mate. I will. On a, on a <laughs> in tables. the next session. For sure. Um, and uh, still haven't been let back in the country, mate. <laughs> no, no, I got busted, got kicked out again uh, on the 8th of October flight. So now locked in for 28th of November with Qantas. So we should be. Should be back to prison. <laughs> no back quarant- no quarantine either. No quarantine now, not even home quarantine. Good. So it's all kind of worked out quite nicely. Love it, mate. Love it. Well, um, let's kick off today, gents. So we've got a bunch of different things to to chat about today. We'll try and do a power episode, um, short, sharp, and sweet. Uh, talk things, uh, interest rate, property, some of the US um, uh, big stocks in the US uh, that have been happening, Tesla and Ford, which Arndog will chat about today. And then uh, Brad can have a, a good chat about all things crypto and the latest in um, some of the movements there as well, because it's uh, it has been a crazy month uh, in yeah. Bitcoin as well. So. Got a few questions about it again off the back of the last episode with you, Brad, about crypto. Um, but also, Jolly, maybe before we jump into that main topic, do you want to hear this with what's been happening domestically, interest rates and, and real estate and whatnot? Because it's been hot, got, hasn't it? Who are you going to ask me first, mate? Oh, Rifkin's. Yeah, yeah, no, Rifkin's <laughs> first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, let's have a look here. So this is uh, Renee on, on success. Uh, uh, oh, okay, there you go. He's got uh, a picture of him in his Baywatching deb- debut. So I never even knew that he was on Baywatch. <laughs> So, was he actually on the show? Is that him on the show? It seems like it. On the set of Baywatch. Renee um, was a baller, man. What a baller. Um, management, baller. Consultants, management consultants amaze me. They tell you how to get rich, but they <laughs> fail to get rich. Uh, <laughs> and you do not have to be ruthless to be successful, but you do to be a billionaire. That's interesting. So You don't need to be I don't mean too many uh, non-ruthless billionaires, right? Yeah, yeah, do you reckon, yeah. like, like this is just a, like a little aside, do you reckon you need to be ruthless to be a politician? Or a successful politician? Yes. I think yeah. you can go in not ruthless, but I yeah. think if you want to make it to any sort of power position, I think just inadvertently the uh, product of your environment. Yeah, I yeah. think in general, like uh, talking billionaires or just talking people, success, you have to have a bit of kind of water off a duck's back mentality. You've got to be a bit kind of um, thick-skinned to kind of be immune to anyone's feelings, thoughts or concerns about, about you as a person. You, they sort of they tend to separate those things really well. Yeah. The ruthless can, you know, can kind of mean, you know, uh, I guess premeditated. I'm going to yeah. try and make money. I think well, you can just, get, I think you can get wealthy by being still a good person, but yeah, like yeah, hard, yeah. you get like hard thick skin. But they just don't care. I think billionaire, they just <laughs> billionaire don't care. Rich. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, 
Yeah, Arnie, sorry, mate. You've, you've shifted Rifkin off the, the front agenda there, mate. So sorry, you... I forgot. How could I forget Rifkin? I was, <laughs> I was keen to hear about rates and property in Australia, and you were going to touch on what's happening domestically because the property yeah. market just won't, won't cool off, Jolie. Yeah, no, it's kept on ticking along, and, you know, there's always signs of things slowing up, and, and uh, mm. I think it's uh, APRA came in with some uh, over overarching uh, adjustments to how they, they look at um, serviceability for interest rates. So... Um, for those that aren't aware, when buying a property and borrowing to buy a property, they, they, they have a, what's called an internal assessment or a buffer rating. So essentially, if the interest rate is X, they'll, they'll, they'll push it out by, say, um, uh, eight, eight basis point movements above that amount that you're borrowing just to factor in your, your stress test, I guess, to say your mortgage. So um, what the, the uh, I think it was the APRA came in and sort of suggested, well, let's do a, a, a larger adjustment to that and make it two extra um, basis points on top of. So they've sort of tried to um, push it out a bit more and stress test it a bit more again and and just make it probably a touch harder for a, a person to borrow. They Let's say they might have been able to borrow um, X amount. Now, um, that's probably come off maybe 5% with that adjusting um, of the interest rate buffer. Interesting. So that's how they, they sort of try to do that. They, they you know, it's a really, it's a really hard, hard one. You could probably have a, you know, you could have multiple episodes on how, you know, different governments and different, you know, the um, the RBA doesn't really want to get involved in APRA and how they've tried to adjust or change. You, you could talk negative gearing adjustments. You could talk interest rate adjustments. You could talk, ta- um, you could talk the buffer amounts they put in, all those different things. But it, it's a really fine line because the government doesn't want to see you know, property or markets, you know, take a big, big hit in confidence during this period of time, but they also want to try to keep a lid on things as well and don't want to see an explosion. So, you know, but markets are natural. You know, anytime you're trying to put intervention on things, it's always going to have, you know, an alternate effect in certain areas. So they've got to be really careful about that as well. So, oh, man, it would be a disaster. I wouldn't want to be managing economies at the moment through this oh, current yeah. period. Yeah. Can you imagine such so like a... Could you imagine, could you imagine, boys, what would happen if the Australian housing market, especially in Melbourne and Sydney, like crashed or, or yeah. went through a significant like decline? It would be yeah. bad. It's, depending yeah. on how the feds or the different central banks actually handle, I guess, the, the tapering and the, the faucet kind of turning off a little bit, I mean, it could happen. I mean, yeah. it's, it's going to be such a, a game. And I guess, Joel, you probably know that the the RBA is kind of not, not buying into the bonds in... April 2024 anymore? Do you reckon that's going to be a bit of a sign that rates are coming earlier than 2024 now? Yeah, Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I was sort of reading about it the other day and, you know, that was probably what I was going to touch on is we've got Cup Day tomorrow, which uh, for Melbournians, public holiday um, for a sports event, which is just awesome. We've got two sports event public holidays. Yeah, yeah. so, um, yeah, so I, I think... You know, I think last year and November was when they sort of, uh, was it the final rate cut or they sort of spoke about what they're doing with tapering and, and, and whatnot. But, yeah, the, the, they're not known to um, adjust too many things on uh, Melbourne Cup Day. But, yeah, there's, there's talk of, you know, do they change their rhetoric or tune around 2024 for for being rate rises? And, and they, you know, some of the pundits are now starting to think, well, do we start to see them at the end of, you know, or some way through 2022 where they start adjusting it? Because maybe they weren't even, you know, um, um, I guess forecasting to see things recovering the way they've recovered. So um, obviously Melbourne and Sydney being locked down has probably hampered some things, but, yeah, they don't want to see inflation. They don't want to see inflation get out of hand. 
um, which is when the cost of goods start to increase rapidly, um, which, you know, you're starting to see some inflation issues in America and they're starting to actually sort of admit now there potentially is some inflation issues as well. We can kind of concur to that. <laughs> being yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we hit like 5.4% last month and it's yeah. just, and you don't it's want to hitting see construction that. and petrol yeah. and all sorts yeah. of stuff at the moment. It's crazy. So, yeah, they really want to keep, keep an eye on that. So the, I think the RBA will definitely chat about it and, yeah, they might, you know, they might potentially adjust where they're forecasting to think that uh, interest rates will go. They've already announced the tapering um, of their um, their bond buying. So, yeah, it's going to be yeah a super interesting few months ahead to see what occurs with um, the RBA in Australia because they are very conservative and they do like to see things wash through. But in a time like this when things are moving so quickly, um, you know, they're, they're probably going to have to come out and maybe make a few adjustments or decisions around you know, just 2024 is a long time away and, you know, um, yeah, you wouldn't want to see inflation running up. So, they, they, yeah, they will. They, they'll have to adjust if they see inflation creeping up, but it may not be there yet for them. They, they may still want to see wage growth come back and, and all those things too. So I think every country is a bit different, right? I mean, like you said before, you've got like New Zealand and Singapore and they bring it forward, but you've got like the lockdowns in two major cities in Australia compared to, say, the US where kind of lockdown stopped. April mm. last year. Mm. It's kind of, you know, mm. just because they're rate rising over here doesn't mean necessarily in Australia, right? I think they're going to take the conservative yeah. approach. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah, and, and property's still ticking along, you know, mm. fairly well and it's still, you know, it's broadly across the board um, in, in all states. Some states are doing better than others and some areas or regions are doing better than others, but uh, more broadly as a growth asset, it's done, you know, it's done probably one of the best uh, best periods of, of the property market in history, um, if not thereabouts, Um second best so it's been a, uh, a generational type of um, time um, from a property perspective this this last period and then obviously shares as well similar thing shares have you know rebounded so strongly in a, in a, in a past their highs now so it's um even october again was another strong month for, for both um, the american market and the australian market so yeah it's uh all asset classes seem to be doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah, growth <laughs> asset classes, apart from yeah, being stuck in cash and, and on the sidelines yeah. too much. But um, yeah, so that's more broadly, I guess. We're waiting to see, and, and and I guess touching on those areas there for for a quick snippet to give everyone a bit of an update on on how things are going. You know, keep an eye on auction rates and see what those clearance rates are like. They're still in the the eighties and nineties for the past period in Melbourne, anyway. But that'll be a sign to see if things start to get a bit of a point where. You know, the supply picks up with lockdowns finishing and, and, and properties coming back on again. If the adjustments to the interest rates, uh, talking about it, starts to make people a bit cautious. And then just broadly, I guess, people things opening up again, people will have some uh, that discretionary money that, that, that they might start spending on shopping or travel or, or those things. And, and maybe the yeah that, that cools the, the property market a touch. But yeah, you know, it's one of those things that yeah, it's, it'd be... Yeah, the economists have been caught out so many times predicting a, a property correction. So you'd be very kind of um, out on a, on a limb to try and correct a, a correction. Uh, <laughs> but eventually it has to, you know, subside a touch or slow down. But, you know, some of the forecasts I've been seeing is still they think there's a bit to run, you know, into, into 2022 as well from a, a growth perspective. So, um, but yeah, it, it all measures up in terms of what's the serviceability, what's people's income? If people's income is going up, property covers continue going up. But if there's a you know a ceiling there, and maybe there's not enough wage growth or there's not um, you know uh, that sort of thing helping it, then there's, there's only going to be a point that property can go to. Um, but the interesting thing is that we've done in Australia, the property market has done so well 
um, even without migration. So you think about migration, there's been you know zero migration coming in and the property market's still done what it's done. Um, it sort of goes to show that it doesn't have to hinge on just people coming into the country. They might just be, you know, people that are coming into rent um, for a period. But, you know, you've done all that. Yeah, it did that. cool off, right? Your average average is over like a three-year period. It would still be even if yeah. it cools off 5 10%. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's yeah not, exactly. It's not going to be exactly. the uh, end of the world. Well, let's yeah. kick on to the next topic. So um, uh, let's let's shift it to, to crypto for now, and then we'll go back to Arnie to talk oh, a few direct stocks. No, no, before we, before, we, before we go to crypto, I have one big announcement I need to make. So, yeah, I'm okay to talk about the direct stocks after we talk to Brad, but I wanted to drop a bit of a bomb on you, Jolie, and say that uh, during the taping of our last episode and this episode, I have made my first crypto purchase, oh. <laughs> and I spoke and I spoke to Brad about it uh, offline. And I'm now you can now call me the Sultan of Shib, or the Sultan, <laughs> the Sultan of Shitcoin because <laughs> I, I I own Shib. You can say Shib at the moment, mate. Your uh, return rate over the last three weeks has been pretty good. Yeah, yeah, up there it was getting up there, Jolly. I uh, I bought in. At, I think I bought in at point zero 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 three three USD. Yep. And now I think four it's trading five zeros. four zeros. And now I think it's trading at around like double that, maybe, hey. maybe even maybe even more than double more. that. But it, double got, it, got, money, it got to triple. Double your money. There you go, Arnie. The Sultan of Shitcoin, <laughs> my shitcoins versus your Bitcoin and Ethereum. It's a money yeah. in the tank race. There you go. I kind <laughs> of probably go downstairs and just put it on like one of the thirds on roulette and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably ROI than anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But we wanted we wanted to we wanted to talk that's why we, we we got Brad on and man I reckon we should just have Brad as a permanent fixture because crypto is such a huge um a huge thing in the finance world at the moment that I feel like there's just so many questions we want to ask you Brad and so many questions that have been coming in. Um now, I know you want to talk to us about some general updates in the crypto market. So maybe we'll go with that. And then we then I had some questions have some questions about SHIB and uh, mm-hmm. and it will lead nicely into a Q&A later in, in, the, in the pod. But yeah, don't, the, don't look at me as a specialist of SHIB, my friends. No, I won't. I won't I'm, I'm the SHIB specialist. If there's any SHIB questions, just please direct Salt them to me. SHIB. Yeah, yeah. I know everything yeah. about SHIB now, but uh, in, I might need your help on some of the more technical concepts. Like Mate, you're a, top, you're a top 10 coin now. <laughs> yeah, market cap. We've flipped Doge. Doge $36 billion Doge. market cap. That's it. That's it. So, like, it's just Bitcoin. You're next. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, oh dear. So you you were going to tell us about what's been going on with um, Bitcoin futures and and what's happened in that in that space. Yeah, I mean, how long has it been since we kind of caught up? Been, Probably about uh, a month, mate. Because you can, as you can, month, everyone right? can see from everyone can see Jolly's premiers poster in the background there. I think the last pod we did with you was just prior to the grand final, which would have been the end of September. So yeah, it's been <laughs> yeah, a little I think, while. I think, yeah, I think back then we we're actually talking about the, um, the Bitcoin and that was kind of set up for, I think we talked about, um, obviously there was a, you know, the supply shock of kind of Bitcoin and ETH were, were up there. Long time holders were holding longer liquidity in terms of um, leverage was, lower than kind of previously and it was kind of set up and I think, um, you know, we've gone from around about mid-40s to uh, mid-60s over that point of, of Bitcoin. Um, Ethereum's gone from about 3000 up to four, four a new all-time high a couple of days ago. Um, and then, of course, you uh, your SHIB. Um, <laughs> I think I was reading the other day, $8,000 buy of SHIB last year equals $6 billion now this yeah. year. So well, and well done to whoever that was. The wallet uh, was inactive. Like he bought it, it was inactive. Wallet, wallet is inactive for 192 days, and so I'm guessing that person. No, no, it's like active many again. people did. Oh, is it active? 
Let's say like Mate, after, after all the Twitter hype, it didn't sell a single ship, but he made an NFT purchase after the fact and people were looking no at it way. on the blockchain. So yeah, I only yeah, read yeah. that a couple of days ago and it was 192 days without, uh, without any wallet action. Well, that guy is sitting, or girl, is sitting pretty on uh, a nice $8,000 investment into $6 billion US dollars. Yeah, Hopefully that, yeah, starts yeah. liquidating. If they were to take some Joel's advice, I'm sure, and financial advice, they would be start taking some of that off the table. Um, unless, unless they know something that we don't know about SHIB. And yeah, they, unless they know they, something they they we don't know, of course. So uh, <laughs> it's already gone to the moon for them. Going to the um, Jupiter. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, so it's been a good month. October, obviously, September, um, historically, uh, the last 12 years, I think nine years, been a horrible month. End up being a kind of semi horrible month this year. But October came out of the gates and um, it's been a very, very strong uh, month. We had some uh, Bitcoin ETFs approved by the SEC. So uh, they're futures, so they're not spot price uh, ETFs. Uh, but again, it just enables some people that inadvertently might not want to buy Bitcoin directly on all other cryptocurrencies being able to kind of just go via the advisor and say, hey, can we get me into that ETF because ETFs are the, are the rage. Um, these two ETFs, I think, or three on um, spot price that are on the, the approval board for the next month, um, one of them being kind of the grayscale, which is kind of known for being a custodian and, and, and kind of an open share price, which is kind of linked to the price of Bitcoin. Um, do we and know, then nothing. The other. Do, sorry, we know, do we know yet, Brad? Like what? What drives the price change in the Bitcoin futures? Because like in a normal futures um, mm. tradability, it would be like the the price and the volume. But but with but with Bitcoin, is it? How do they calculate the volume changes in Bitcoin? Is it? What, what, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, at the moment, um, so it's still. I mean, that's just a bet on. Because it's not buying at a spot price, right? So it's not like yeah. it's just picking it up in, in a dynamic um, little trying trade fund. But um, it's basically just looking at outlook and the, the, the risk or the the fear was because it's a smaller asset class compared to a lot of other asset classes. I mean, it's two point seven trillion, but yeah, um, you know, in terms of other like let's just say equities, um, people were scared that uh, you'd have a lot of people on the sideline with money that could kind of use the futures as a manipulation tool to kind of scare people off the current spot price. But I haven't really played into that. I mean, there's only been about $2 billion or $3 billion worth of, I mean, it's a, it was the largest ETF ever to launch um, within, I think I had $1.7 billion um, USD on the first day of trading kind of enters inflows. But I think there's been about three approved and there's about three, $4 billion worth of inflows. I don't think it's getting played that much at the moment, Arnie. Um, and it is literally just based on the, on the future price. Um and the spot price ETF hopefully will come through because again that will, you know, just bring through more money or open up more inflows. Um, I think one of the biggest stories was actually um, the approval on interactive brokers, um, which is about fourteen thousand financial advisors in the US now have access um, by I think five or six different cryptos, um, and there's about a hundred trillion, hundred and ten trillion dollars worth of kind of farm on interactive brokers and, you know, even if 10%, 20% put in 1% of their holdings into that kind of as a diversification, talking about the ability of a, a lot of inflows. Um, the month of October also saw, for those out there wondering what drives the, the prices, 90% of all um, kind of crypto inflows has come from institutions. So not from retail mm. investors like us, like it did in 2017 and, and last year. Um, the retail investors are kind of sitting by at the moment largely and just kind of they think that, like, you know, they'll come, probably come back in 
around 100,000 if it gets up there. But um, yeah, that's what I mean. Crypto is going well. It's been a nice mm. month. Um, this has proven that there's a lengthening cycle. I think I may have talked about in the first um, first show that it's kind of like four year cycles. Um, and they predicted that, that as the cycles kind of mature and more people come into them, they'll probably lengthen. And so this has actually been the first cycle that's broken the traditional mm. timelines around that four years. And so people are saying it's probably going to lengthen out till March, April next year um, before a bit of a, a blow off the top. But you know, I think on some of those saying, points, some of those points you made just more broadly, it, it's it's starting to become you know more of a mainstay in in financial worlds and markets when you talk about ETFs coming online and, and some of legitimizes it's legitimizing it financial advisors having it being open to clients now and clients probably being open to having a, a portion of their yes. wealth in that area so uh, I, I can't see you know I can't see it really going anywhere in the short term and um, you know see what comes of it in the medium to long term as well but it seems like you know more things are going forward at the moment than against it, and um, you know I think as as I've said for the past little while now, I think it's definitely you know going to be. I think yeah, the big players will be around for a while. It's going to be you know an option as a good alternative asset potentially as well moving into the future, and then you even start people. I think there was someone a big a notable person the other day saying they like it as an inflation hedge over gold now, Bitcoin. Um, I can't remember yep. who said it. Um, but yeah, well, they, there's a they, few there's a few people out there that are big big kind of billionaire hedge funds and the rest of it. Um, which obviously, still have yeah. big shift, which will say gold forever. But which <laughs> when think, yeah, when you think about it, it's like well, you know, if you base it on just the printing of money and you know the 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 debt that, that the US has, um, Bitcoin is you know um, is 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 separate to that. Um, so you're, you well, know, you're 21 million coins ever, yeah. right? It's got a limit. I think Shib. I think Shib's got like a quadrillion, uh, something like that. Quadrillion, yeah, quadrillion. <laughs> That's not four trillion because there's a few people out there that think, okay, you know, you know, to get to a dollar, it only needs to get a quadrillion. Have a look up on it's a few more than that. People, isn't it a thousand um, trillion? But yeah, I yeah, just while, while, you, while you lads were chatting, I was curious about um, how the Bitcoin futures were working. So I just did a bit of a quick Google search, and so just just for clarification, so. Commodity futures are something that um, require delivery of underlying goods like oil, and those are settled with cash or they get rolled over. Equity. And that's why you saw that go under zero dollars, right? That's yeah. right. Under zero. Because someone had to pick up the oil and they didn't have any bit of And so, so market futures or, or equity futures track an index like the SP 500, and they are calculated on the cash value multiplied. So it's one plus the interest rate over. Um, X days throughout a three like through a year period, and so that when they are trading those, it's all about the fair value and how it fluctuates versus the market price on the day, and how much you know versus how much cash premium there is. So, but with a Bitcoin future, it's based on the aggregate Bitcoin trading activity across major Bitcoin spot exchanges. Uh, so that's the underlying between Bitcoin and the spot market at the moment, and that's but, why they're saying it's a, it, it's it's much different in terms of open manipulation. Because if you're someone at the moment with a lot of money and you've got you want to play it up or down, you're able to go onto the exchange and you saw it happen over the last couple of weeks. You saw Bitcoin go from. I mean, you had I think it was uh, Coin. I think it was Coinbase. It went from sixty four thousand down to eight thousand. A flash crash. Uh, 
flash crash, right? And there was another one just the other day. I went from 65 down to 57 and back up, right? And there's a couple of things there. One is manipulation of the futures market. Yeah. Another one is obviously um, the leverage positions that they can just wipe out. So, I mean, they wiped out $3.5 billion worth of longs and short positions. Just yeah, well, so. it says here that the dailies, the daily futures contracts for Bitcoin are settled on the volume-weighted average price of the of the trades between uh, like the, the last minute of trading. So it's two fifty nine p.m. to three p.m. Central Time. So, like, just in theory, if you play that out, Brad, someone loads up a massive position in whichever direction in the futures market, and then yep. does a huge buy or a huge sell to, to either pump or dump it. Then they can quickly execute the trade on their futures contracts, and then they're going to have whatever the underlying asset is in between. So, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I wonder how they're going to police that. Yeah, I think it's just going to be something that the asset class works out over time. Right? I think with um, the greater the actual, because it's, it's obviously risks as well. So, I think people are learning a lot more. So, there's people that I know um, that are rather wealthy um, in the crypto space. Um, that used to play with leverage last year that don't, don't touch leverage at all. Mm. Um, there's a massive pullback. You know, there's a lot of those exchanges offering 100 times leverage <laughs> before and now the maximum they're offering is five. And so I think it's like a, a market thing that will just sort itself out where because, you know, you could open yourself up to 100 times leverage on that position <laughs> and fire it down. So I think the greater... The, um, the greater the actual decentralization is. So it's not only looking at the top, you know, five, 10 exchanges and goes even further. Um, I think it's just one of those things that will just sort itself out, like most of the other problems have, right? Like, like the you're chatting about before, side. like you're chatting about before with property. And when you get intervention in there, it, it starts to shift things in different ways. It's, it's the same <laughs> thing with stocks. It's, you know, you've got shorts and longs and, and yeah. So people, you know, smart people will end up working through the situations and you'll have one person going one way, you'll have another person going the other way and, and a free market will work that out. And so, well, you had, um, you know, influx over the last 12 months. There's more investment bankers going into crypto trading desks than there is in traditional trading desks now because they see it as like an arbitrage opportunity. It's so you know, immature in its nature. Systems are still getting worked out. Um, but I think that goes both ways. I think there's a few people that are getting caught out thinking that they're smarter than they are as well. And Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, Absolutely. It, it goes the other way. But I think, you know, also, Joel, you are talking about before around the ETS and legitimization. I think, you know, another huge side of that, and I've talked about these, you know, more institutional buying than retail, um, is now over 10 Sovereign wealth funds that around the world that hold Bitcoin. You um, mentioned that you've before. Got, yeah. you've got and sovereign, 30 or 40. sovereign wealth funds um, for the listeners, Brad. So, oh yeah, sorry, Joel. Okay. Yeah, no, I can say you, what it is if you want. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. sovereign wealth funds is basically a, a fund set up um, for a country. Pick Norway, um, yep. for instance, the largest in the world. Um, where basically they look at the royalties of their oil sales and they put that into a sovereign wealth fund, which is then invested into the future. The Australia's got the Australian Future. Future Fund, yeah. Future Fund, right? Yeah. And that's managed and, um, you know, I think they say that the, the Norwegian um, sovereign wealth fund owns, it's like 1.5% of every company around the world on <laughs> equity markets, right? Yep. And so you've got those ones and you've got the, you know, um, Saudi sovereign wealth fund, the rest of it. And so they're countries that basically diversify um, the money for future generations, mm. um, for the use of future generations. And, 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 so and you they, mentioned that they've started, there's 10 of them that have mm. they've bought in now. Bought in. And these are just having a quick look over before, and there's now 41 companies on Fortune 500 that have actually um, said that they've bought 
a Bitcoin for their balance sheets. So Incredible, you've got Marathon Digital, it? you've got Square, you've got Twitter, you've got Tesla, you've got Tesla, you've got Riot, you've got there's just a whole bunch. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. it's 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 pretty fascinating that the corporates are now looking at it as okay, well it's a an asset class on the balance sheet. Obviously, I think that what comes with that also is going to be lower volatility in terms of the downside risk. So um, I think retail investors are much more apt to trade on emotion. <laughs> and, um, you know, last year you saw that, or the middle of this year you saw that in May and June where the kind of price went from 65 down to about 28 of Bitcoin. Um, I just think that the more kind of sovereign wealth funds and it's on the balance sheets and the rest of it, I think you'll see less volatility, but I think they'll also start playing into the corporate market, which we're seeing at kind of end of month options. We're seeing it like, you know, end of quarter, end of year, hedge funds having to pay out distributions to people. So, you know, that that sort of stuff will start coming into the asset class, which is quite interesting. It's an interesting segue into one of the questions I wanted to ask um, specifically about crypto, Brad, because I want to ask about SHIB. And I know you and I, I'll preface this conversation with saying that SHIB has been like accused of being a meme coin only, um, but I, there's some. It has there's, more utility than Dogecoin. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. There's there's a few. It's things got a been, Yeah, well, there's a few things been floating around the internet, and there's this platform called Shibarium. And Jolly, just for your benefit and for the listeners' benefit who don't know about Shibarium, basically what they're trying to do is they're taking the the SHIB coin and they're going to have uh, a platform where you may be able to buy nfts they're going to have a payments mm-hmm. currency platform they're going to have a governance platform and they're going to have uh, another one i'm not exactly sure what it is but anyway what it equates to is you've got these different you've got the main ship token you've got the leash token which i believe is the nft and onboarding token and you've got the yeah leash yep. the bone token which is going to be the governance token so if you own bone tokens you can vote on changes to what will happen to the ship platform so and then again you that's can, the governance side of things and then you can take your SHIB tokens, Brad, and you can stake them, which will, in theory, remove them from the supply for however long you stake them for, and you'll earn <laughs> rewards, right? So I sort of You've also to... got decks. So you've got decentralized exchanges. You've got a smart contract layer what, as well. So what, what's, what, are, what are those? Maybe, maybe we can so talk decks, through all decentralized, DEX is a decentralized exchange, which allows basically um, the transfer of your X currency to X currency. So it allows you to go from like SHIB to... ETH, and it's a basically a decentralized exchange. Just think about if you need to go from USD to AUD today using intermediary, whether it's a bank or you're using WISE or you know whatever your whatever your service is, and they're intermediary and they're the one that takes your money and kind of puts a bit of a buffer on top and, and passes it on for a fee, whereas a decentralized exchange is exactly that. It just matches up. Brad wants to move ETH to SHIB. You want SHIB to ETH, matches us up, and it handles a transaction across the blockchain, right? Cuts okay. out the middleman. De- cuts out the middleman. There's no more. There's no more middleman. No middleman in a decentralized exchange, right? And that's why they can't shut down. So when China shut down mining last year, oh, sorry, not last year, last month, yeah, um, you had a, a, a Chinese decentralized exchange in one day put through more volume in dollars than the whole of Coinbase, right? Wow. <laughs> and this was an exchange that no one had ever heard of before and suddenly they put through something like $17 billion in one day um, because they were trying to kind of obviously get the money and exchange it out for, uh, for you know, BTC to whatever um, out of the country. And so you can also, you know, go back to fiat. So there's a, um, the decentralised exchanges are on ship and you've got smart contracts were on ship. Um, and smart contracts are more of your kind of layer one solutions, which is like your ETH. 
yeah. or Solana or Cardano, um, which allow kind of, you know, smart contract functionality to be built. So there is an ecosystem being built around SHIB, uh, which doesn't exist on Dogecoin. Yeah, and at the moment it's built on the Ethereum network, but as I understand Correct. it, they're trying, to, they're trying to move it off that and create their own SHIB network. Um, Correct. So at the moment, the gas fees, right? The NFTs, for instance, or the leash coins, those people that I know that tried to get leash to buy NFTs because it was a new kind of release last week or two weeks ago. Um, They're getting it rejected, rejected, and then suddenly the ETH fees came through the gas fees and they had to pay $9,000 with the ETH gas fees. So Yeah, it sounds like these gas fees are incredible. And I, I think I think you prefaced this in the prior conversation that when ETH 2.0 hits, the gas fees will be a thing of the past. Um, reduced, reduced greatly. Okay, so yeah, but but I guess the the question I wanted to ask you about it is so it's, it's sort of a two part question because I know a friend of mine holds Shib and he is staking it on Shib Swap, but he's doing it through Coinbase. So he's he's a Coinbase customer, but he earns the rewards through Shib Swap. Yeah, so he wouldn't be earning Shib rewards through Coinbase. I can guarantee that. <laughs> yeah, so so cer- certainly Coinbase is a secure platform. I'm not certain how secure Shib Swap would be, mm. but some of the rewards <laughs> he's getting are like astronomical. Like he's getting something like yeah. a twenty thousand APY, which is um, average average yield per year yeah. or yield per year, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the leash token, he's getting a five percent Ethereum reward annual percentage yield. But yes, yeah. yeah and thanks, Brad. And he's getting like a another percentage for SHIB. But then yep. when I look at what I can do on Binance, I can I can get only like a three point something percent yep. staking yield yep. for my my SHIB. So what's the difference between the platforms? Why is he getting so much more? Well, yeah, so a couple of things here. I mean, um, staking. There's kind of a couple of different reasons why you stake to get interest earned, right? One of them is, I'd say Cardano or 2.0 where you stake your coins and you get a return based on those coins being locked up and kind of reducing the size of the overall processing that has to occur and um, and you get rewarded on that, right? And, you know, I always go by the saying, if it's too good to be true, <laughs> there's usually another side to it, right? And so, you know, on, on Polkadot, I earn 12%. On... Cardano, I get 5%. On Cosmos, I get 6%. Um, you know, on some of them, I get 3 3%, 4 So my range is a 3% up to 12%, which is still, you know, inadvertently much more than uh, interest-bearing accounts at banks these days. Um, <laughs> but obviously it comes with a bit more risk. Um, but, you know, I would say a lot less than there are obviously exchanges and also services out there that will do loans or provide leverage. And so they utilize your tokens and basically lend them out or short sell them or whatever it is. Oh, I think we lost Brad. You know, there was even people offering thousands of percent on like Polkadot and Solana and all these sort of things. And, um, you know, it's a risk, risk game. So if you see the 20,000, you know, and you go 20,000%, how is that even possible? <laughs> um, you, it also kind of depends on the staking pool. How many? How much is in the staking pool? The price? How much is getting withdrawn out? There's like there's a few kind of contributing factors. Now, the reason why that pool might be twenty thousand is because of the absolute growth that's happened on ship over the period, right? And so you stake a coin at whatever, the coin is now worth this much. So to keep you in that pool and not just withdrawing it and selling it, they've got a higher like provide a higher APY, and so it's a risk game. Um, you know, if you can get that much and you're willing to risk the money, there is a possibility. But, like, the economics don't stack up for a long term for that, right? So yeah. it's not like 
it will keep staying at 20,000 or whatever. It can also drop in the in a heartbeat as well, what you're getting. So I don't think- other ones like Polkadot and, and Bitcoin and ETH 3.0 and the rest of the world, ETH 2.0 and 5%, it's pretty much locked in and guaranteed because of the the organisation and the amount of developers in the ecosystem and the maturity around it, whereas SHIB's kind of gone from like a meme coin to trying to actually become a an entire network in itself. Um, and get real utility. So yeah. Yeah, it's, think- uh, with our uh, chats about SHIB as well, Arnie, and, and your purchasing as the Sultan, yes. always, ge- always general in nature. <laughs> uh, no, no personal guidance or advice around any of these coins, but just talking generally in nature yeah. as always on the podcast, guys. No, not financial advice. Um, I, I prior to <laughs> I purchased it as a joke. I was sort of like, I need to do something for the pod, and what you and know, he what, sent it to me, and I gave him I gave him a lot of uh, earful, and then three weeks later, I'm the Gullen. <laughs> He's the Sultan now. The thanks, Sultan. For, He's the Sultan. thanks for sharing with your other podcast hosts as well, Arnie. I could have thrown a little bit in the in the Binance account as well, mate. Just oh, please, to, uh... please join me. I'd love it if you get on board the shit coins. Like, is there, like Brad's kicking himself right now because he's like, I've tried to teach these guys the right way to do it, and look at us, we're throwing money into shit coins. I gave you a whole presentation, and like, it's at least uh, seven types of coins, and then there's an eight, but I don't talk about the eight. The memes. It's all, uh, all, for, look, all, all for the pod. Do it for the people. All for fun. Yeah, do it for the people, Arnie. But I mean, look, it is getting a um, an ecosystem. There's a lot of groundswell for it. Um, I mean, the only thing is, I mean, the token economics are horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Better than Doge because Doge is unlimited. Um, so the token economics is basically looking at the amount of coins out there, its utility, what it can go to, what its current market cap is, all the rest of it, um, you know, what what constitutes kind of, you know, what gets burnt, what doesn't get burnt. Um, there's a few things there around. And the token economics of it, it, was, it was created as a meme coin. It wasn't. Yeah. But, I mean, you've got things like now. I mean, if you if you're in America, I'll I'll send a pitch. I think I think I'd send it to you. I was driving along the streets of LA, and an LA bus passed me, and I went, "No way!" And so, if you Google those listening, uh, you Google Floki, Floki coin, baby Floki, Elon Musk's dog. Um, if you look at that, they're actually now advertising on public transport in Europe and America to. They say there's a lot of scams out there. And so we want to kind of, you know, level up and become more chewer. And so they're utilizing uh, basically whenever you buy into it, there's a 6% charge to buy into Flokino. They're using the money there to put it out to the public to get more people to buy in. And that coin has no utility. So it's an interesting time. I think there's a lot of, I think we're going to see a fundamental shift. Um, something's going to come out of all this. Oh, it's a scam, man. There's so many scams. Like it's like, I, I say this with the full knowledge that I obviously bought SHIB with like no <laughs> with no real understanding of what it is, a pure gamble. And but it's a, <laughs> I feel like, like I said, I could go to the casino and probably get a better ROI and risk. Spin, right? spin, <laughs> spin the big wheel, mate. It's it's true, but I also it's true, but I also feel like you're gonna see in the future like some utility come into some of these coins and there'll be some that are pure scams and I uh I wonder ninety nine percent of these meme coins. I was going to say some other word, but I think YouTube algorithm doesn't like that word. Um, <laughs> you're going to have ninety nine percent or ninety nine point five percent of all these, you know, these eleven thousand meme coins out there now, right? Yeah. Um, they're going to, they're all going to crash and go to zero. Yeah. I honestly believe that it's like a phenomenon that these communities of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people are coming together because they're they've missed out on something. So there yeah. there are a lot of people that are buying into this. Are people that have kind of missed out on being able to buy a property or missed out on being able to actually get a bigger asset. And they see this as like a, a chance, fundamental chance. They catch, see it as a chance to actually up. make money. Play, play and like, like we, yeah. yeah, play catch up, right? 
Um, and there's so many mm. people out there in that position that are buying in that. So a lot of people are going to lose money in kind of scams, but I think inadvertently one or two of these coins are going to get some utility, some use, and actually play out. That's it's going to be sheep, boy. It's going to be sheep. You heard it here first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no financial advice, general financial advice. Yeah, general uh, nature. And then um, nature. The, the old, you know, the old adage is you don't want to uh, you get caught holding the the hot potato or whatnot. You don't, you know, you, you sometimes the the decisions you make um, or the best outcomes in financial life are the ones you don't make uh, in terms of you know not risking everything or not trying to sort of you know. Um, hit the home run, um, and yeah, there there are a lot of kind of people out there trying to be home run hitters, um, and then yeah, there's going to be a lot that um, that get struck out. Yeah, it's funny. The most you guys successful people in the crypto, the most successful people that I know personally in the crypto space, again, general advice, no thing, are people that don't pick the top or the bottom. They are literally selling out mid cycle, buying in mid cycles. Uh, they just pretend that you know they're buying in at long, so they're just DCA in each week. Yeah, any coin that's under a risk tolerance level of like say fifty, and then um, they're selling. So as the price goes up, they're kind of getting rid of bit by bit as well. The kind of you know if the if the risk tolerance is over fifty and the price is going up, they're selling a little bit by a little bit. And so they're the ones that actually overall, um, in my mind, are not making the you know the eight thousand dollars ship trade into six billion. They're trying to hit first. They're trying <laughs> to hit first base. They're trying to get on base. They're trying to hit- yeah. If I think about it, like what you said, boys, like missing out or missing the boat or whatever, like that would be a very common story in crypto too. Because you think about like everyone would have heard about Bitcoin back in the day and never bought it. A lot of people Huge. would have heard about Ethereum. A lot of people would have heard about Dogecoin and thought this is mm-hmm. an absolute joke. I know Doge I was the, the the Doge was the pre kind of precursor to SHIB that has created this. It's a, lot of, it's a lot. It comes a lot with investments. Like you talk shares, you know, shares to a lesser extent. Like Tesla, you think about. FOMO, like, you know, and property, it's the same thing. Like, it's that FOMO of missing out on this or missing out on Tesla and, you know, why didn't I get on that or why didn't I get on, you know, um, Alphabet back in the day or Apple. Um, all those things, I think, in terms of what you what you think about is is that FOMO it comes down to fear of missing out. Yeah, I know. It's a good- I mean, I was on a bucks. I was on a bucks party in Japan in 2019 when a mate Neil Sarafia, uh, who lives in Hong Kong in finance, he said, oh, "Brad, I'm all in on Tesla. Everything sold everything and put everything." I was like, "You're crazy!" And then like all the boys are talking the other day from Singapore, and everyone's just like, "Oh, Neil has done it. He's done it." Mm. So that's yeah, like that's like he has done very well for himself because 2019. Even if you mm. bought it at the absolute top, he'd still do 10 times his money, I think, from then. More. Yeah, yeah more. I don't so. remember exactly what the price was, but it's a good segue because I did Segway, wanna... yeah. Let's let's talk some direct stocks with Arnie, some some of the big stocks coming out of America. Um, Just... Thanks for the update as well, uh, Brad, on the crypto space. No it was good to get the conversation happening around it. So, uh, listen And if there's anything there, that I said uh, wrong or people have got any comments or you want to add to the conversation or you disagree with some opinions, feel free to throw send, it Send them straight through to Brad. But, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> and, and any questions in general, uh, feel free to jump on and uh, and then ask any questions you might want to uh, want to know about. Yeah, we don't fact check. But if anyone wants to fact check us, please do because we, we welcome please it. Please do. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to um, just touch on briefly the results of Tesla and Ford, but also the big news that came out that Hertz was buying 100,000 Tesla vehicles. Did you hear about this, boys? Mm, yeah. Come yeah, watch yeah, I mean, they're, not, they're, not, they're the first of the rank, right? You watch all the other rental companies now follow suit. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Because I know like, like Tesla had a bonds a quarter. They had like, just keep you with the highlights from um, – the results. So they had operating cash flow less uh, capex of 1.3 billion in the quarter. 
they had they repaid net uh, net debt and finance lease repayments of 1.5 billion, and they had 164 million decrease in cash and cash equivalents. So they're still holding 16.1 billion in cash for the quarter. Mm. They had a two billion dollar gap operating income, which is a 14.6 percent increase in their operating margin, and they had a 1.6 billion dollar gap net income, um, and they had gross automotive gross margins of 30.5 percent. And it was 28.8% excluding the credit. So what's interesting about the gross margins in Tesla, automotive, I should say, is if you compare Tesla's automotive gross margins with Ford's automotive gross margins or General Motors automotive gross margins. So the cost to make versus the cost, the uh, outcome of sale. Yeah, so revenue, revenue minus COGS, which is cost of goods sold. Ford, Tesla, and GM all make around the same amount of money dollar-wise on automotive only, so excluding Ford and GM's financing arms. They all make around the same amount of gross profit, which is wild because... It is wild. It is Tesla wild. Is vertically integrated. It is. It's vertically more. integrated and a lot more room to grow. Like if you, if you think about like Ford is doing like over, you know, like $100 billion a year and in, in total revenue... And Tesla's not anywhere near that, in special, and even in terms of deliveries, like those companies are doing a lot more deliveries over the year. Yeah. But the gross profit margins are the same for the automotive mm. business. It's so, because you, you always think automotive works heavily on scale yeah. and um, time in as well, like you know, Tesla's maybe such that's a it, young though. company. Maybe that's it, though, Joel. In that scale, is a huge lever of that, right? Which Tesla isn't at yet. No. But Tesla is a lot more vertically integrated than the others. So if they're running at the same, then obviously Tesla's got a lot more to go. More upside, younger company. Yeah. I think, I mean, without, like, we can't we can't put our, we can't point a finger to exactly one thing, but you've hit the nail on the head. Like, Tesla has been vertically integrated since day one, and that means that they are saving money in areas where traditional automakers have to give up margins. Batteries. Yeah, but, it's, but they, you give it up for a reason, though. So, for example... Ford or GM will have service centers and they lose margin in those areas, but they may improve the customer's experience and there's a place for them to go when there's an issue with their car. With Tesla, it might be a bit harder. Or advertising or PR. But I know that um, I think a lot of the the American manufacturers, in particular Ford, is now talking about trying to make their own business vertically integrated when it comes to their battery electric vehicles. And they've talked recently in their own results about uh, a plant they're going to be building in the US. I forget what state it's going to be in. But it's going to be huge. It's going to be Arizona one. Yeah, it might be Arizona, and I think it's right next door to Redwood Materials, which is a company that's going to use like an ex-Tesla employee is the CEO and head of that. I think he's friends with Elon Musk, and they're going to be doing all yeah all the battery recycling for Ford. So it's pretty crazy results for Tesla, and they still managed to decrease the uh, year-over-year average selling price of their cars. And that's not because the price of the cars came down. In fact. Price of the cars have been going up because of inflation, but the fact that they're getting cheaper models in the in the mix and they're selling more of the Model Three and Model Y has brought the average selling price down over time, and it will continue to do so. But with Ford, also had amazing third quarter results comparatively. I mean, they, these two companies are at different um, stages of their life cycle. Like Ford is a very mature company, been around for a long time, but I feel like the fact that Tesla is pushing these auto manufacturers in this direction is going to be a boon for the whole industry. Like some people have been saying for the last year that these old ice manufacturers, so internal combustion engine manufacturers, will go bankrupt. They're going to go out of business. But I, th- I think the opposite. I think they're all, I think a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think if they can successfully transition from their ice business to battery electric vehicles or hybrids or whatever it is, maybe they'll have some hydrogen cars. Oh, we'll get pushed. Well. 
Yeah, Porsche. Porsche new new it's outselling it's actually outselling their, their ice engines. You've got VW that's investing eighty billion dollars into electronic infrastructure over the next four years. Eighty billion dollars. Um, I think you know Ford obviously has taken over the utility truck market with the F one fifty Lightning. Kills yeah. it. Well, they've got so, they've got they spoke about that in their results. They've got like something like over a hundred thousand orders for that um, Lightning when it comes in. So they've got no problem with their image. They've got no problem with demand. They just need to execute well. Listen to these uh, third quarter financial results for Ford. So this is just the quarter one. So revenue down uh, 1.8 billion to 35.7 billion in the quarter. Adjusted EBIT was 3 billion down 0.7 billion. Adjusted EBIT margin 8.4% down 1.3%. Uh, Adjusted free cash flow was 7.7 billion, which was up 1.2 billion. And adjusted earnings per share was 51 cents down 0.14. But year to date, they are at 98.7 billion revenue, up 7.5 billion. Uh, Adjusted EBIT 8.9, which is up 7.8 billion. Their EBIT margin is 9%, up 7.8%. Their adjusted free cash flow uh, year to date, 2.2 billion, up 2.6 billion. And their adjusted earnings per share is $1.52 up $1.45. So this is a huge turnaround story because Ford a year ago had a quarter where they were losing money on every single car they sold. They had they had a they had a loss that quarter, and people were saying this is the death of Ford. They're saddled with debt. And this is a huge turnaround in my book. And they're just the, the CEO, Jim Farley, I think he deserves some credit. Um, he's ruthless, billionaires. Coming back to the start of the conversation of ruthless, <laughs> and he's, he's cutting costs everywhere, and they're investing in the right things. And it's just—I think it's like as a Ford shareholder, not financial advice, general nature, but it's, I'm happy to see it. Yeah, so, there's there's going to be so much more to play in this story. I think overall in the um, the car manufacturing space, things like what's and we've spoken about it before on the pod. What's Tesla going to end up being in the future? Is it going to be a supplier of you know, their infrastructure and their IP is it's still going to make cars in the future. Um, where, We're looking into buying up resources as well, right? Yeah, you know, the, <laughs> the diversifying to different areas like, uh, you know, space travel, but, um, you know, uh, Ford and, 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 and General Motors and you talk about vertical integration, are they going to start to try to really ramp up their, their electric vehicles and also the service of those and the, the headquarters of that area and make that, you know, a, a, an integrated new version of Ford that they've learned from mistakes of maybe what they've made in the past to sort of keep up with your, your trailblazers like Tesla. And then the other thing which we're lacking in Australia domestically is the ease of infrastructure around charging your vehicle, charging stations, tax incentives, all those things. We're lagging a lot behind that. Um, so how that... Um, bodes for the consumer of the future to say, well, I, I feel comfortable and I know that if I get a car, an electric car, where, where, wherever it may be from, where I'm going to get the best deal, it's going to be serviced well, it's going to be serviced on time and affordable, I'm going to be able to charge, I'm not going to run out of battery power, I'm on the road, I'm going to get good tax breaks. You know, all those things are going to play into this space and I think it's it's a super fascinating 10 years ahead. It's going to probably be the most fascinating. The next decade period. is going to be yeah. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. 100%. It's really going to set up what the next... I think your transportation for the next 50, 60 years, I mean, you know, yep. out, outwards decades. I mean, we've changed, we'd say hundreds, but these days everything's changing so fast. Yeah. I think it's honestly going to set up what we're probably doing yep. you know, all well, the way been, through. There's been nothing like this change. I, I, I nah. bet, you know, I'd think since the invention of the car in terms of such a significant change as to, you know, what's happening now, um, you know, I, I can't think of anything else that's been that significant since the creation of 
Railroads. The first car. Yeah, rail Railroads. Railroads is the other big one and, and then air freight. But I also wonder about what this means for those industries because for them to stay relevant, they're going to have to innovate. And I'm excited about what railroads are going to do. Can you imagine having like hover trains or something like that? Like, I don't know, man. It's getting a bit futuristic, but I think that's cool. Hoverboards. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, um, that's been... On uh, that though, Arnie, you've still got to remember that, like, say, China's got the largest high-speed rail network in, in, in the world. It's going to double again, but you can't put freight on it. They have under-invested in freight and it's now co- costing them to actually transport coal by trucks. Yeah. So they, so Whereas they can't, America has it. No, they, no they freight. They can't put freight on high-speed rail networks? Yeah, interesting. No, too too so, fragile. I didn't know yeah. that. Okay. So anyway. So, yeah, but, um, some some great facts. Some uh, some really good topics today, I think, uh, gents, and, and a good, geez, I reckon 45-minute discussion or thereabouts of, uh, of uh, a bunch of a raft of different areas. So We better wrap it up, eh? Yeah, yeah. For, for any of the listeners out there, any questions you have in all those different areas, feel free to jump on. Where can they – Where can they? Uh, where's the best place for them to write questions, Arnie, and, and, and get, in, get, get onto us? Yeah, get us at Money in the Tank on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And um, we like the comments. Oh, you can hit us up anywhere, but if you could hit a like, subscribe, or drop a comment on the video, that helps us. And, yeah, um, yeah. and any questions, good comments, good, bad, or indifferent, love to hear from you. Love the community discussion. And, and we're here just to sort of help, I guess, understand the goings on in the market and help, um, you know, educate people, um, whether they're, you know, novice intermediary, just to, to do better, be better, and um, do well in, in life from a, from a financial perspective. Yeah, well, we've got one Q&A, which is an old Q&A. Like we have, like Joey and I tried to answer this the other week, but it's actually probably better directed at you, Brad. So we're going to revisit the same Q&A and it's from Michelle and it's about crypto. And the question is, is crypto in any way like a mortgage-backed security? Will it burst or could it burst like the GFC, the global financial crisis? And maybe just for your, for your context, Brad, when I answered this question, I answered it in regards to Evergrande because Evergrande, there was rumours that there was Tether, uh, commercial-backed paper tied to the Evergrande saga. And if something like that were to collapse, what that might do and then the, the domino effect it might have. But, yeah, what, do you I'll have an answer? The, the biggest bit, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good, good part of the answer, though. Um, so I'd say the reason why you know, Gary Ginsler, the SEC, is targeting stable coins at the moment and why the SEC recently um, fined, uh, say, Tether, $170 million back on, uh, I think, 2017, their actions then, there needed to be a bit more regulation in terms of traditionally these stable coins and what stable coins mean to everybody is that one of them largely equals one fiat currency. So one tether equals one US dollar. Um, there's no there's no price or growth in them. There's no, And so basically what they say is for every tether that we issue, we hold one US dollar in as collateral. Um, what became, uh, uh, you know, people kept aware of in 2017 and 18 is that Tether, which was is the largest stablecoin provider, started using collateral of USDC or other, <laughs> or other, and that's where they could start buying into debt, equity, other things, so, you know, other instruments, which add up supposedly. So every dollar, we still have one US dollar worth of, but it wasn't a dollar coin. And so there's been a lot of, I mean, that is, that's how um, you could see an unforeseen event, you know, a largely unforeseen event, because there was a few people at Michael Burry in that in 2007 that saw what was coming um, from mortgage-backed securities and, and the way that it's kind of, it can kind of run through everything. I think there's a risk always of anything new that isn't highly regulated or been around for a long time 
for inadvertent risks to come through, right? Um, like the stablecoin risk. So if they held a lot of money in some risky Chinese property market stocks, and they were saying that's worth this much in US dollars because that's how much the US denominated bonds, you know, debt bonds were worth. Yes, but it's very, very different in terms of mortgage-backed security, which is the packaging of many different types of loans rated um, on a weird average kind of way of averaging it. So you could kind of put some junk in there, throw in some kind of good ones and make it look good and sell it on at a, at a, at a low risk, um, bigger yield. Um, so with crypto um, being more decentralized and the blockchain being public, um, I think the risk only really lays in kind of areas like a stable coin or leveraged, you know, previously leveraged, which has been kind of regulated a bit. Um, APY, your returns. <laughs> it's been so I think very different. I don't think it has it's still a 2.7 trillion dollar asset class. So if it for some reason did crash down, I mean it could still have a rippling effect now that sovereign wealth funds and companies holding the bank balance sheets and the rest of it. But I don't think you know your property market, I think is what Joel, it's probably a hundred trillion, two hundred trillion dollar um, thing, and then they securitize that and create more and more and more. And so, um, yeah, I wouldn't That's say it's the same. I, That's what I'm probably back not saying. In, in the GFC, for the listeners out there, there was a, a bunch of um, you know, uh, instos around the world that bought these, these bonds or these mortgage backed securities where people were, you know, getting these loans that they shouldn't have maybe had, and then they were passing and parceling it up and making it appealing and selling it on to um you know whichever insta and that's the reason it caused that ripple effect around the world when you know these loan loans came due and people couldn't make their payments or whatnot they just had to leave the asset leave the keys and uh, then the bank owned the liability and um that's the reason that that got uh that uh, caused a gfc event like we saw in you know 809 and you know and and, and yeah you hope you know uh, people learn from that and places learn from that but you know whenever you're doing dealing with something new or untried or untested that it does cause issues and, and things come up so yeah wait and wait and see and watch this space i reckon it's definitely a wait and see i mean there was the reason why the sec looked into um tether is because there was a couple of people that came out saying because another company that they transfer money into to make sure they kind of hit certain balance sheet items of financials um and people were scared that the bitcoin has been bought on <laughs> money that has been printed that doesn't have any collateral backs from it. And so it could cause Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the rest of it. Because at one stage, 70 to 80% of all inflows into cryptocurrencies was using Tether. Mm. And so if Tether was getting produced without having the collateral, then that's just creating money out of thin air yeah. and it could all come crumbling down. But, I mean, that's all gone through SEC investigations, the rest of it. But something like that can happen. So it would just be different to a more security. Also, also known as quantitative easing. <laughs> money out of thin air, printing money. So, well, oh, getting political, Joel. Yeah, we'll see. We'll I see. don't know. That's we Joel that one. We Joel and That's a good. Uh, well, that's, that's a really good answer, man. But I guess we come to our favourite segment: 50-50, What's your choice? Either or, this or that. Gun to your head, Brad. You're you're experiencing this now, and we've got. A listener submitted one, but Joel, you've got one too. Is that right? Yeah, mate. I've got one. Uh, do you want me to do mine second? Yeah, I'll go. We'll start with ours. So, actually, yeah. apologies to the listener. I have these written down, and I should have written your name down. I don't remember who sent this one in, but the fifty-fifty is. <laughs> yeah, when, to you, lads. When uh, when wearing formal attire, do you prefer a bow tie or a straight tie? Who wants to go first? first? Yeah, Brad, you go first. After wearing ties every day for ten years of banking, I'm going to definitely pick a bow tie. <laughs> if I'm going to be going out formally, if I'm going to be putting on any sort of formal attire, which I hardly ever wear anymore after. Kind of wearing suits and cuffs and all the rest of it, um, I'll definitely get bow tie. Same difference. 
Jolie? Uh, yeah, I, I like a bow tie. I can't do one up, so I've got they're all clip mine ones. They're all clippers. Oh, can anyone no, do it? Can, can, can you do a bow tie up? I yeah, can't. my mate, uh, my mate Lucas's uh, wedding in Sydney. Uh, we all we all had to learn, and it looks yeah. it looks so much better. Yeah, well, I might uh, might invest. Well, it doesn't actually look better. I've got to yeah. say that, but it feels better because you did it. Feels better. Yeah, you did it, so. <laughs> but yeah, I've I've just got a couple, a uh, few clip on ones, and they 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 look good. I like them, Arnie. You can also do the James Bond thing at the end of the night, you know, you, un- you undo it. Undo it, yeah, I like shoulders. that. Yeah. You can't do that on the clip-on, right? And similar to you, you know, I wear ties so much for work. It's it's mm. nice to be able to mix it up and throw a bow tie on. And um, especially if you've got a three-piece suit, I reckon a bow tie looks looks mint with a uh, three-piece yeah. suit. I, uh, I, I'm I with Jolie. I've never learned how to do one up. I've only ever had clip-on bow ties. And I do like a bow tie, but I feel like a bow tie is reserved for... No, it's not reserved for, but it means it, 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 it's a bit of a, a nuance to your outfit. It makes you look special. So sometimes, like at a wedding per se, I feel bad with the conscious choice of making, like, say, putting a bow tie on because if People the groom, you would say to the grooms, yeah, if the groom's done that, I don't want that to be the case. So I rock a straight tie. But if I'm choosing, I, I guess I'm going to choose a Good straight man, tie. Good man, Arnie. What a thoughtful guy, Arnie. What a thoughtful <laughs> guy. What Thanks, a man. Uh, <laughs> what was yours, Jolie? What's your one? Uh, oh, my, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's Melbourne Cup themed. So, because we've got the Melbourne Cup on uh, in Melbourne this weekend. So, for those listeners around the world, have a look at what the Melbourne Cup is. It's a big day. And um, I guess it, it bodes well with, uh, with uh, Tabone there being in Vegas. When you're, when you're betting on the Melbourne Cup, um, and again, we don't, you know, general in nature, we don't condone betting or whatnot. But if anyone's <laughs> having a bet, um, do you bet on a win, a place, or each way? Just generally, you know, Ooh. if you're not, if you're not sort of for me, know, yeah, I'm a horrible, horrible, horrible horse or dog better. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a horrible, like horrible. So I'm a I'm a place kind of guy. Place, okay, yeah. Because if I can just get in the top three, yeah, happy, happy. I I don't often bet on just winning places. I love to put trifectas on or the uh, okay. or something like that. Should have been part I, of my question. Should've if been. I'm if I'm being forced to choose win or place, I probably would go on the nose because I want to maximise returns. I'm okay. like, let's just put it on the win. I'm an each way kind of guy. More successful than me, obviously, Again, betting talking, on Talking diversified, I'm an each way kind of guy. But, yeah, I didn't actually throw the old trifectas or box <laughs> bloody quinella. Quadrillas. Yeah. <laughs> See, my experience, with, my experience with Brad Tabone is he's one of the luckiest people on earth. So to him to say he's a bad better, I don't agree with that. I feel like if you get Brad involved in the trifecta, you're basically guaranteed to win. <laughs> Luck comes oh. in other parts of my life. Maybe it's a sign tonight, um, Brad, that you go downstairs. Oh, no, gambling. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Blackjack (laughs) and poker. Luck comes in handy. (laughs) General advice, don't go do those things. (laughs) We look forward to hearing how you've gone in your week in Vegas. I'm one of those people that says whether I lose or I win, so uh, you'll see. Look forward. Well, um, great to catch up, guys. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's been awesome. Good chat, boys. Thanks very much. Take care. Have a great uh, Melbourne Cup weekend, everyone, or the Victorians anyway. And, um, yeah, reach out to us. Any questions, yell out, and we'll endeavour to get back on here sooner rather than later this next next episode. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, crew.